Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. You've already had the scripture read for your hearing. We're probably going to finish up, if I can do that today, on this series we've been talking about, Walking in Power. Walking in Power. We've been learning what it means to walk in power. And we've learned that there's some things that lend themselves to walking in power and some things that don't, right? Some things that lend themselves to walk in power and some things that don't. We know that the most important thing that lends itself to walk in power is you got to know what the promises of God are. If you don't know what God has promised you, what do you know? I mean, how can you believe God for anything? You don't know what he's promised. You know, I said this to you all a long time ago, a while ago at least, I said, you know, the statement, I have faith in God, is meaningless. Unless you mean, I have faith in the promises that God has made me. I have faith in God's word. Because otherwise, it's a meaningless statement. And, you, and guess what? If you examine people who say they have faith in God, you'll find out they don't even know what they're talking about. They'll say that and then say something dumb. I, yeah, well, I have faith in God, but you know, God's not going to do this, and he's not going to do that. And they, they say something that's completely off the wall, has, not, has no bearing on the word of God whatsoever. So we've learned you've got to know what the promises of God are. The word says all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Amen? Amen. Now, one of the statements that some people make to sort of come against that principle is, well, you know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And other people say things like this. Well, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do. No, he can't. No, he can't. Because he doesn't want to, first of all, he doesn't want to do anything contrary to his word. But if he said something in his word, he, he's not going to do anything contrary to that. So, you know, this idea, you know, God can do whatever he wants to do. And what, what they usually mean by that is that God is unpredictable. And you just never know. You can't predict. And then they bring all kinds of old dumb stuff that God is supposed to have done under this principle where you just never know. You can't predict what God's going to do. God is sovereign. And it's just not true in the way they mean it. Of course God is sovereign. Of course God is king. Of course God is Lord of, over all. But, but if you mean by that that God can do anything you can conceive, you are wrong. Or if you mean by that, that anything that happens, you can attribute, because there are people who really believe anything that happens was ordained by God. That's a lie. That's a lie. Plain and simple, flat out, it's a lie. Because people say, well, you know, well, God is in control. No, he's not. No, he's not. He has ultimate control over the outcome of human history. What you mean to tell me? You think about, well, God is in control. And that woman just ran into four people, killed four people out in Oklahoma, and you're going to tell me, well, God was in control of that. No, he wasn't. Because the woman didn't put him in control of her life. God is not in control of anybody who doesn't want to be controlled by him because he will not violate our freedom. That's why you got the jails full. Because people aren't listening to God. Now, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. In other words, they're going to bring terrible things on themselves by trying to do their own thing their own way. 
but, but this attitude that whatever happens, God ordained it, is a lie. It is just flat out wrong. And you can just go down the list of things that you can imagine and things that we've seen happen that people would then say, well, you know, it was an act of God. And basically trying to give God blame for something the devil did. So, so that, that's wrong thinking. So, so this idea, well, somebody's sick unto death with some deadly cancer, and the idea is, well, you know, God had a reason for that. No, God didn't give it to him. Amen? Amen. 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 Here's again, the simple, here's the simple line of demarcation. Draw it bright in your mind and heart. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, it ain't God. He said, I've come that you might have life. Here's the other side. I've come that you have life and have it to the full until it overflows. If it's life affirming, if it's life giving, if it's life in abundance, that's God. Amen. And there's no, never the twain shall meet. Amen? Amen. 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 So now let's, let's make this very, very, very clear by the word of God. Now maybe you've seen these scriptures before, but go to Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 2. And even if you have, they're worth seeing again. Psalm 138, verse 2. This sets the predicate for what I'm talking about. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Read it with me. It says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, you know, you run around these cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, you don't know the name of God. You don't know the name of God. People run around, oh, what the name, the name, the name. You gotta, if you don't know the name of God. Well, what's this say? This says you've magnified your word above your name. So you want to make a fetish of which name we're supposed to call God by. And God said, wait a minute, I've magnified my word above my name. And the Bible says God has given Jesus a name above every name. So that settles that issue. Now, now notice what the psalmist says. He says, I will praise your name for your loving kindness and truth. And I, now, hear me closely. He's not saying, Lord, I praise your truth because it comes from you. No, he says, Lord, I praise your name because truth comes from you. In other words, I don't have a valid reason for praising God other than the fact that God is absolutely true and right, completely, totally, 100%. So God says, yes, because I magnify my word above my name. It's not my name that gives my word validity. It's my word that gives my name validity. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right, KJ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 138, you can just drop down. Verse 8 says this. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now, this word, this phrase, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. In other words, God will complete the plan he has for me. That's a promise. That's a promise. And what did he say? He said, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So now, if I die young, there might be a number of explanations for that. 
But you can't say that was God. Because he said he'll perfect the things concerning me. And he said his will is that I would have long life and be satisfied. So then how are we going to blame God on the death of people who die before their time? All right? Amen. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 2 says that people were all their lifetime subject to bondage to the fear of death and that the devil had the authority over death. It wasn't God. It was the devil who was killing people. And people blame God for it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now look, here's what this translation of this 138.8 says. The Lord will perfect mercy, bring mercy to its completion, and never drop the work of his hands, meaning you. That word is in the text. In the Hebrew text, he will never drop you. You know, we got a young baby in the back, and I know when my children were young, and people say, can I hold him? And I, Sister Jackson would, you know, I don't know how she was feeling sometimes, but I'd look at people and be looking, can you hold my child? Don't be dropping my child now. We're going to have a problem. So, so, you know, I might say, well, no, no, he doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be held right now. I mean, because you don't want nobody dropping your baby. Amen. God says, I will not drop you. I will not drop you. That's what he's saying. What the plan I have for you, I will bring it to perfection. I will not drop you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now let's be clear. God is sovereign. I'm not denying the sovereignty of God. But he's bound and limited himself to what he promised in his word. That's the point I'm getting at. He's bound and limited himself to what he's promised in his word. So he can't do anything else. Go to Numbers 23. Numbers 23. That's not me putting a limit on God. That's God has put a limit on himself. God said when he gave Noah the rainbow as a covenant sign that he would no longer destroy the earth by water. Do you think God is capable of destroying the earth by water? Of course he is. Will he do it? No. No, he won't do it. Why? He promised he wouldn't. So yes, he's sovereign, but he, he chooses to limit himself in terms of his word to his people. Amen? Amen. Numbers 23, 19. Read this with me. This is, a, this is a beautiful verse, and this really kind of says it all. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So that, that's the issue. Yeah, God is almighty. God is all powerful. But he's chosen to constrict himself by giving human beings his word. And he says, I will make my word good. So the issue is not what God can do or God can do anything. The issue is what has God promised to do in his word, amen? I mean, that's about as plain as it gets, isn't it? Has he said and he will not do? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? All right, now go to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Psalm 89, I'm just, I'm just again, laying the predicate for why we have a right to believe in healing in deliverance, in breakthrough, in abundance, because he's promised it in his word. Psalm 89, go to verse 34. It's very simple, very straightforward. 
You need help to misunderstand this. If you're there, read it with me. Amen. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Now, there you go. God says, I will not break my covenant. If God's made a covenant promise to you, that's it. And now the only problem is people don't hold on to that. They let the circumstances speak louder than the covenant. But if you let the covenant speak louder than the circumstances and you keep renewing that in your mind, you keep feeding your heart that, guess what? That'll overcome every circumstance you'll ever face. Because it's got the promise of God backing it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now we know that the currency for getting things done in God's kingdom is not money, is it? No. It's what? It's faith. That's the currency of the kingdom realm. It's faith. You have all the money in the world, and you can't do anything for God. The Bible says without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. So you can't do anything for God. You can have, you be a billionaire, you can't do anything for him. It takes faith to do anything for God, amen? Faith will bring the resources that you need to get things done, but if you've got material resources and no faith, the Bible says those works will be tried by fire and be burned up and be found to be worthless. So faith is the kingdom currency, amen? All right, praise God. Now, so when we're not seeing results, we're not seeing results. You say, Bishop, I've been praying about something, and you know, I haven't seen a breakthrough in that. Anybody here? Anybody? Do I have any witnesses here? I have had some things I've been praying for, haven't seen any results yet. What are we supposed to do? And I'm going to give you a summary before we end this. But what are we supposed to do when we don't see the results that we're looking for? Let's say we pray for someone else and we don't see anything happen. Well, the first thing we have to check is, what's that person's faith level? Where are they? Because you know not everybody who goes to church has faith. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian has faith. I've met Christians, I mean, and by the way, you say, well, but did, didn't Jesus say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed? No, he never said that. He never said that. He said if you have faith as or faith like. He wasn't referring to size. He was referring to the fact that a mustard seed is so small that you really can't see it. You, you got, I mean, you got a real, you drop it. In fact, I brought some to church one time, and I said, I want to prove this to you. You drop it, and it gets lost. He was saying, but when you plant that thing, and you water that thing, it'll grow up into a great big old tree. He was saying, faith is like that. Faith is as a mustard seed. You can't see it. Can't, you know, maybe people can't identify it. But you plant that faith, and that faith will grow up and produce something everybody can see. That's the point that Jesus was making. He clearly wasn't making a point that, you know, it was okay to have a little faith because he often criticized, rebuked his disciples when he said to them, Oh, you of little faith. See, but the word size is not in the text. People just added that because that's the way, you know, they like the way that sounds. You have faith the size of a mustard seed. And Jesus ain't said no such thing. He was talking about the dynamism of what a seed can do, even though it seems insignificant. It'll produce something that is completely and totally significant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to move through a couple of other scriptures swiftly here. If you're there, you can read it with me. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. If not, you can just catch up or make a note to read it later. It says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. There are people who don't have any faith. They're not all people have it. And, and look, the Bible's saying two things here. Saying, we want the word of God to run swiftly, meaning what? Unhindered. We, we want it to move without hindrance. And we want God to be glorified as that word moves. In other words, as it produces. As it produces, the Bible says, remember in John chapter 15, he said, so shall you bear much fruit that your father may be glorified. And this is your father glorified, that you bear much fruit. The word of God is glorified by bear, bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, bearing fruit in the lives of people. He says, I want that the word to run swiftly. I want, I want it to be glorified the same way it is with you. He said, and then I want us to be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men because that's partly what hinders the word. That's what he's getting at. Because wicked and unreasonable people will try to hinder the word. They don't all have faith. When you meet, run into people who don't have faith, all you can do is sow that seed into their lives. You can't produce a miracle in a person's life who doesn't have faith. Amen. Jesus couldn't. Well, you think you could? They're fighting everything you say. You know, sometimes you need to get with people and say, well, listen, well, you, I'm going to pray for you, but can you come in agreement with me now? Because otherwise you may be wasting your breath. You know, you, you say, I'm going to pray, and you, maybe you even pray for the person. You walk away and say, oh, that, I ain't thinking about all that mess. You just wasted your time. So sometimes you got to minister faith to people, amen, in order to take them to that next level, in order to get them positioned, positioned to receive what God wants to do, do for them. Are you, are you all with me so far? Faith is the realm, is the currency of the kingdom of God. And without it, James 1 says, you can't expect to receive anything from God. You just can't. It's not going to work. But when you, and by the way, faith operates at different levels. I'm going to get to that in a second. All right, go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And go to verses 8. Verse 8, that is. And we'll read a couple verses there. Acts chapter 14. When you have it, say amen, because I want you to see this for yourself. Amen. All right, read this with me. It says, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. All right, so now we got that. This is a man. You know, they say that even if a person's legs receive strength, if they've never experienced balancing themselves on their legs, they still can't walk. They got to be taught to walk. Are you all with me? There are people who have terrible accidents, lose the strength in their legs, regain the strength in their legs, and have to learn to walk all over again. Because they've lost the neck, they've lost the balance. Because, you know, this takes balance to do this. That's why you see children, they don't walk all at once. They start, and they fall a little bit, and they stumble a little bit, and eventually they, they, they get it, amen? This man had never walked, he's just like a baby. He's never, ever walked in his life. All right, read on, it says, this man heard Paul speaking, 
Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, now what, are, what are the key words to this text right here? The key words to this text are this. This man heard Paul speaking. Oh, Paul was preaching. And the man caught hold of it. I mean, evidently, he was out there saying, hey, man, brother, preach it. Yeah, I'm with you. Or something, Paul, Paul's looking at the man and observing that the man's got faith to be healed. And Paul jumped right on it. In the name of Jesus, walk. And the man jumped up and leaped and walked. See, this man had faith ministered to him. If Paul had just walked up and saw him crippled like that, guess what? Probably wouldn't have gotten any results. But the Bible says, observing him intently. In other words, he's checking this man out. Paul's looking at him. He's discerning the sincerity, maybe, of his responses to what Paul is saying. And Paul said, this man's got faith. And boom, power exploded, and the man got healed instantaneously. See, a lot of times, we don't get results with other people because we're dealing with folks who have no faith. Are you all hearing me? I guarantee there's other sick people in that, in that audience. I guarantee you. There was other sick people in that audience, sick or something. But he perceived this man had faith to get healed. Amen? Amen. When you're dealing with people, you've got to be discerning where this person is. And you, your first step before you pray to them, pray for them, may be ministering the word of God to them so they got some foundation for believing what you're trying to do for them. Yeah. This is one of the keys to results. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because look, it's a whole lot harder to help people who have no faith than it is to help people who've got plenty of it. Yeah. That should be obvious. Amen? Amen. It's a whole lot harder to help somebody who has no faith because you've got to walk them through a process to get them positioned to where they can believe God for something. And there are a lot of people who you, it takes a while to get them there. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Well, what do you do when you encounter people who had no faith. Now we saw in Mark 2 last time, the Bible says before this man was let down through the roof, the Bible says Jesus preached the word to them. Now this man apparently had heard Jesus before or heard that message, and they said, man, we got to get to him. We can get to him. We can be healed. He preached the word to them. You got to preach the word to people, amen? amen. Look, because saints, keep this in mind. What is the ultimate goal in a person's life? The ultimate goal is not their physical healing. Because a person can get physically healed and get sick again or die and go to hell. And what have you accomplished? That's not the ultimate goal. That is a step. It, is, it opens the door to the possibility of the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get them into the kingdom. The ultimate goal is to get them saved. The ultimate goal is to put them in a position where they can receive the blessings and the promises of God. Not just one episode where they get a blessing and then they go on back out and live like hell. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. So, so you may have to minister the word of God. You might even have to minister salvation to the person before they're even positioned to receive what God wants to do for them. All right. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because there are a lot of hurting people out there, saints. You know that? There are a lot of hurting people out there. 
And let me tell you something. I say this just about everywhere I go. You can rest assured of this. Everybody you meet has got problems. Everybody. There are no exceptions. They got something that's happened that they got to try to deal with. They got something that's not happening that they want to happen. They got something in a loved one, a loved one who's not right that they're trying to get straightened out. Uh, they got a health problem. They got an emotional problem. They got a just. Everybody's got problems. And you have the answer. Because the answer is Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Read this with me. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. In other words, we don't give up because now we got it. Amen? So you know, no way, no way in the world we're giving up or backing down because we got it now. You know, you see, meet these people. Who, I used to be saved. <laughs> no, you never were, because <laughs> if you ever really had it, you're never gonna give it up. Amen, amen. But read on. It says, "But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, saints, this is very important. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's what the Spirit is saying to him. We don't use tricks and gimmickry. Gimmickry, I mean. We don't, we don't try to manipulate people. See, there are folks who use, try to use the word of God, twist it, turn it, and try to manipulate people with it. Try to, try to you know, handle it deceitfully. And, and, and every cult basically does that. We don't do that. But here's what we do. By manifestation of the truth. In other words, I tell you the truth, and then I believe God to manifest it in your life, and then I leave that to your conscience to deal with. You see what I'm saying? I don't, I don't try to figure out what's a slick, quick way to... I mean, do you all realize some of the crazy stuff that's been done, presumably in the name of Jesus? You all ever heard of the children of God in California? I think they're still around, but there's not many of them. But do you know they actually, the, they're called the children of God, do you know they actually got young women to go out and sexually seduce men because they figured once they got them sexually seduced, they would then be open to receiving Jesus. Now that's the craziness that can go on in this world. I mean, we're shaking our heads because you can, but, but saints, listen, the Bible says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above everything. Who can know it? I mean, people will have come up with this, and, and with the most twisted, messed up ideas, yeah, you, all these molestations we've heard, and how priests and even and, and, and some of these pastors, doesn't matter whether they're Catholic or Protestant, will tell people that you're doing this because this is what God wants you to do. God wants you to do this. I think there's a special place in hell for folks who do that. I'd have, I'd have more respect for you if you just said, it ain't right, God ain't approving, it, but this is what I want to do, what about you? I mean, you must, you know, you gonna put it on God? And say, God wants you to do this? I mean, see, and people who do that, I believe they don't know God. I don't care what anybody say. I, I do not believe that folks like that know God because, look, I love God, 
and, and but but if you love God and know God, there's a fearful respect of God. You're not going to play with him and just try to use him as your toy. Amen. So we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. We put it out there just like throwing meat in a bear. Here it is. This is the truth. God can heal you.